Welcome to Making Strides for Animal Chiropractic, where we promote integration and collaboration. Whether you are just starting your practice or you are ready to push the profession forward, we aim to provide you all the tools necessary to form relationships and educate your community. After all, spines of all sizes deserve to be adjusted. Welcome to our podcast and thanks for listening. Hey guys, Dr. K with Making Strides for Animal Chiropractic. I'm super blessed to have Francisco Maya of the Canine PT on my podcast today. He's a physical therapist that received training from the CRI, Canine Rehabilitation Institute, to focus on his passion, which is the field of canine rehabilitation. Francisco has a unique journey where he worked in a vet rehab practice and eventually scaled his business to where he was working mobile on animals and now is working in a large facility on his own, doing his own thing and actually employing other physical therapists to also work on um, his patients. It's been a huge blessing to have him as a mentor and friend in this space because as a human chiropractor stepping into an animal chiropractic business, it's completely foreign to me to have to ask for a referral to see a patient. So it's been beneficial talking to Francisco, learning more about him and his Um, his marketing practices because I was a little confused to say the least on how to reach my patient, how to get that referral, and how to think bigger when it comes to scaling my business. I know you guys are going to take a lot away from this episode. I'm super blessed to have Francisco here today. Don't be afraid to listen a second time or reach out to Francisco directly at thecaninepteacademy.com. You guys, but first, before we get started, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Hey guys, treating patients is not about doing everything alone. When you're starting a practice, it can be hard getting out there, marketing yourself, talking to other providers about what you do. I get it. I am strongly introverted. I do not like talking to other people. And the last thing I want to do is try and sell myself. But it is really important when I'm working on patients that I remember I am working together as a team. So there are other parts to the animal care team and I need to do my part to reach out and talk with them and learn from them about what is important that they're doing that impacts what I'm doing and vice versa. So I really love the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, a program developed by Dr. Jeffrey Langmade because it helps bridge the gap between medical doctors and chiropractors so that way we can figure out what is best for our patients. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about his program, I recommend you looking him up on the Evidence-Based Chiropractor Hey guys, this is Dr. K with Making Strides for Animal Chiropractic. I'm so excited to have one of my mentors and friends here. This is uh, Mr. Francisco Maya. Um, He's actually a canine rehabilitative therapist, um, which is synergistic to what we offer, which is um, animal chiropractic care. Um, But there are so many similarities with um, marketing um, and how that translates to, you know, whatever alternative uh, modality that an animal owner is choosing. So I want to bring Francisco onto the podcast today to talk a little bit more about his unique approach um, to uh, talking to clients, getting them into the business and scaling the business. So thank you so much, Francisco, for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It has been awesome to to work with you now a little bit, you know, through my program and stuff. And then that led me into me actually listening to at least a handful of your episodes of your podcast, and they have been great. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Awesome. And you have a podcast too. Is that right? Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, we launched our podcast uh, just a few months ago in August of this year. So it's called the Canine PT Academy Business Lessons for Canine Rehabilitation Therapists. 
Um, and that's what we focus on a lot of a lot more centered towards the business owners in the field of canine rehabilitation. But to be honest, we focus so much sometimes on the mindset that it takes to be a business owner and the challenges that we have to overcome, that there is a lot of life lessons that people can take away from it. So it would be beneficial even for those people who who are not necessarily business owners, but have leadership roles, have roles that require them to just be the like best version of themselves, you know, and, and it has been great. The feedback so far has been tremendous with the podcast. I'm so thankful you started that podcast because um, being in an animal healthcare space, um, it's interesting, you know, we're so focused on taking care of the animal that we forget that there's a business that we have to take care of in order to be able to continue serving animals. So I was wondering if you could gloss over a little bit of that as to why you started your podcast and why you started your mentorship program. Um, because, you know, I actually started out of my innate need to have a mentor and I couldn't find mm-hmm. anyone. So I started my podcast and, and my materials because I was like, I want to be the mentor that I never had for somebody else. Yeah. And, and, you know, my came a little bit of a a different way, but still I, I understand that lack of mentorship. So I, I basically became a business owner like five years ago and I had no idea like how to do anything about business at that point in time. It was just that I was in a, a position that I wanted to move on from as a canary rehabilitation therapist working at a veterinary clinic. And it's just that the it's it's such a still like a specialty field there. It's really hard. It's getting better, but it's still really hard to find jobs out there. So I just realized that, you know what, I'm just going to have to go out on my own and make this work on my own. So I started as a mobile canine rehab therapist here in Chicago and just just did that, just went on my own. But then I've realized, oh, shoot, I don't know anything else besides just being a clinician. I had been a clinician my whole life and I was good at it, but I didn't know anything beyond that. So I started try to find, uh, uh, just like you said, mentorship, guidance, that kind of stuff, and worked with a few people, you know, along the way, kind of stuff, and and still have my own mentors and stuff. But the 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 way my uh, mentorship slash coaching program, the K the KNIPT Academy, came to be, it was a little bit of what you mentioned, just that lack of guidance and lack of mentorship, because my my mentors, they have all been from, uh, you know, let's say the human physical therapy field. You know, everything that I've learned, it was from people running different human physical therapy practices, um, you know, in the United States and outside the United States. And I have taken those lessons and applied, you know, to my business. But there wasn't anyone out there really uh, 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 helping canine rehab therapist in particular. And what happened was as my online presence started to grow, uh, especially here in the United States, a lot of physical therapists started to get hold of me, started listening, uh, not listening, uh, checking, you know, my social media, started reaching out to me directly. And then from there, uh, uh, it just naturally evolved into me mentoring some of them. And that's how like the mentoring program started. And then little by little, it started to grow. Um, and then I started mentoring some uh, veterinarians that work in the field of animal rehabilitation as well. And then as I started to want to spend my time doing this coaching and mentoring, I, I, I love being a canine rehab therapist. And, and, and I started growing my clinic in a way that it was going to allow me to not be involved as much on the day-to-day of the clinic anymore. And I'm still, it's still a work in progress, 
because my goal was to be able to dedicate more of my time to this, to coaching and mentoring, helping people in this field. Um, so then as I wanted to start growing this uh program a little bit more then the podcast just became like a natural evolution of that process you know so that's when the podcast came to be a few months ago is when i finally had someone uh, uh, who could who could help me start a little bit more with the marketing for this business um because before i was just doing all on my own and time wise just didn't have much time so definitely you know it is one of my goals to to spend more time doing this and the podcast was the first first step into basically doing that. Yeah, you and I have actually a very similar story in that we were navigating how to open our own business. And out of that, well, you know, we kind of, I don't want to say stumbled into success, but, you know, a lot of people started to take notice of like, hey, this, this person actually knows what they're doing. Maybe I want to ask that person for their advice. And that's very similarly how I got started with my podcast. I was like, hey, um, I can't keep answering the same phone call. Let me just put out mm-hmm. a resource for people uh, so that way they can listen on their own time. But I want to back up a little bit because there are some really good nuggets in there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how you got started first and foremost with being a canine rehabilitative therapist. You said that you have a background as a physical therapist, right? Mm-hmm. And then you probably took additional training in order to work on animals. And then you said you also work in a vet clinic. So can you kind of walk us through that evolution of how you decided, okay, I want to work on animals. Then I want to work with them full time in a vet hospital. And then finally deciding to leave that position and do it full time yourself in your, your own mobile clinic you said you started out as first could you walk us through that transformation yeah definitely because it it is a a pathway that a lot of a lot of people kind of like take it physical therapists and i would assume it might not be that much different with chiropractors too but i got my doctor of physical therapy degree back in 2012 at that point in time i had never heard of animal physical therapy being a thing so it wasn't even on my radar um i was an athlete myself growing up played soccer uh, you know, through youth academies back home and then in college kind of stuff. And and the sports medicine side of things really uh, is what got me to physical therapy. I was always very into just how the body moves, the anatomy, the biomechanics of it. And then my goal was to work as a sports physical therapist. And, and, and I was doing that after I graduated. I was seeing just a lot of like CrossFitters, marathon runners, uh, college athletes, just like young athletes, uh, you know, in their 20s and 30s, active, you know, young adults. And I, and I liked what I was doing. But the more I was doing it, it wasn't something that I was like, I saw myself doing for like decades and decades. So I just started kind of like keeping an eye out for, okay, what else can I do as a physical therapist? And that's when I stumbled upon uh, animal physical therapy. And then this was back in late 2013 or so. And I knew right away, I was like, that's it. That's that's what I want to do. And I just decided in 2014 to just dive in and go through the certification with the Canine Rehab Institutes, really having no idea how that was going to pan out at the end. I was just like, you know what? I just want to get certified. And then afterwards, I would just figure it out. I'll just see where this leads me, not knowing if I was going to work in animal rehab right away, or if it was going to be a thing just later in my career kind of stuff. But then it turns out that as I was finishing the certification, uh, my wife and I, she was also finishing her studies in Pittsburgh, where we used to live. And then this opportunity came for us to move back to the Midwest, where she's from, which it's where we wanted to settle, move back to Chicago and uh, work at this standalone veterinary rehabilitation clinic. So I worked there 
basically from 2015 to 2017 for a little bit over a couple of years. And it was it was a good experience in terms of just becoming uh, 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 just making that transition from humans to dogs and 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 just learning more as a clinician kind of stuff. But variety of factors played into it that it led me into me wanting to go on my own. Uh, a big one was just how severely underpaid I was over there as uh, uh, as one of the therapists. It was, I was basically paid more as a technician. But then probably another big one was just that I wanted to do things differently. And and, and the way I used to do things as a physical therapist, which is very different in, from a clinical perspective on how things were done at that clinic. And I wanted to do things a little bit more my way, focused more on like hands-on manual therapy kind of stuff, focus more on exercise progression, focus on teaching then the pet owners what to do at home with their pets for a home exercise program and just making that a big emphasis of the whole thing. And that's not how it was done over there. So that's when I just decided to, you know what, all those factors kind of like playing in together. I just decided to go out on my own and and figure it out. Now, in the beginning, like you, you mentioned, just going mobile, because um, I was used to driving all over Chicago, because at the same time where I was working at the clinic, I used to have a side job as the contractor for a home health agency, uh, a human doing human physical therapy and stuff as a contractor, just to help pay the bills, help my income, but I actually did enjoy that. And, and, and it was kind of fun. And, and, and it, I didn't mind driving all over Chicago. And that's one way one day when the light bulb moment kind of came where, where I was doing that. And I was like, man, I think people will be willing to pay money for me to come to their home, just like I'm doing here for this Medicare patients, but willing to pay money for me to see their dogs at home, you know? And that's basically how it kind of like started in the very beginning. That's amazing because I, I think a lot of people have a similar story to where, you know, we have, I call it the side hustle, you know, we're not super invested. Uh, we maybe get disenchanted. We thought it was going to be something else. And then we find our passion again and we're like, okay, how can I make this work full time? Um, and not everyone has a parachute approach where you do something to pay the bills and then you work on it. And then eventually you switch over. I was kind of wondering for you, was there like a day where you're like, enough's enough. I got to do this full time. Or was there like a point in time where you're like, okay, I'm making enough money because a lot of people say, when can I start doing this full time? And I know it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Some people do it. They just take a leap of faith and other people are like, um, no, I have to have this amount of money. What is a good structured approach to deciding today's a day I'm ready to invest in doing this full time? Yeah. And that's a great question. For me, that was always the goal. So as I left that clinic, you know, I continued to doing my work as a contractor for this home health agency, seeing these patients, um, to, you know, because suddenly my schedule was clear. So I thought it was like, Hey, I can take more patients now, you know, and that was what helped me pay the bills a lot for the, especially for the first four months, four or five months or so, while I was just getting, you know, my ducks in a row for, 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 with my own business, because, you know, I, I wasn't planning for months in advance on doing this. So there was a lot that I had to get it going as I, as I was doing this, but at the same time, you know, bring some income home. But the goal was always that was always build up, build up as much as I can. My caseload with the canines to the point where I can start saying no to those uh, um, uh, patients that would get kind of like offered to me through this home health agency. And that took about six months, but it was about April of 2018 
that my schedule with the canines was busy enough that I was making enough money where I decided to tell the home health agency, look, I'm, I'm going to continue seeing this patients that I've been seeing with you guys and stuff, but I'm not going to take any more new cases, you know? And then over the following two to three months, you know, as those patients got discharged, then kind of like that was it. Because what I've realized for me is that it got to the point where I was busy for two full days seeing my human patients. I was busy for two, two and a half days a week seeing my canine patients. And it was getting in the way of me being able to actually grow my canine business. And that was that was the thing. Once I've once I've realized that, hey, for me to continue growing this canine business, I gotta stop seeing this human patient so I can have the time to actually, you know, go out and marketing, go out and build relationships and and get these things going. That for me was the turning point was kind of like, I just need more time on my schedule for me to be able to continue doing the things that I need to do to grow this business. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's very similar to how I got started. So I started working in a human chiropractic practice. I worked there for two and a half years and I was busy. Let me tell you what I worked Monday through Thursday. And then we alternated every other Saturday. So I work Friday and uh, some Saturdays and then Sundays working on my animal patient. So it was kind of like a work seven days a week situation there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a family. Um, so it made it a lot easier, but there were, there were some days where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. It's like rinse, wash, mm-hmm. repeat, go to work, work there. And then uh, in all my spare time, I'd work on animals and nights and weekends. I would, um, you know, do all the marketing piece. Um, so do you have any advice for someone who, um, needs like help with a number, if you will, I call it the number of like when you can finally switch, um, to doing that full time. Um, sometimes it comes down to how much your bills are, or sometimes it comes down to how much you're charging. Can you speak a little bit more to like how to find out that number to know that you can make that switch? Yeah. And it's a combination of the things you already said and that number it is going to vary so much from one person to the other. Like you said, you know, you, you you didn't have a family, so you were able to do all these hours. At that point in time, it was also just me and my wife and our dogs. So it was easier for me to 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 kind of like work more hours, that kind of stuff. And now we're our household needs in terms of, of uh, uh, how much I needed to bring in you know, was very different on what it have been today with a daughter and daycare and that kind of stuff. So the number always is going to tie up to what you need to bring home to help you pay the bills, help you be in a comfortable position at home. Um, also going to depend then, you know, if you, if you have a partner, if you have someone else with you, what's their situation too, right? Do they have a, do they have a fixed salary or are they also an entrepreneur whose, you know, income is also full of ups and downs kind of stuff. But like more often than not, what I have talked to people is helping them figure out exactly that. How much do they need on a monthly basis to bring home to to be in a position where they're not stressed out about money at home and then work towards ideally saving however many months they want to save to feel comfortable. Some people are more comfortable with three months. Some people are six months, you know, of like expenses, but then it's like work towards having that because, you know, let's, let's take six months, for example, right? If, 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 if suddenly you have six months of income saved, saved, and you know that, you know what, I'm going to be fine for six months, regardless of what happens over here. But if I let this job go, then I know I'm going to have the time to build up this business. 
you know, you, you're going to be fine. You, you know, you, you're going to build it up to it. And if, at the very least, if, 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 if things go wrong, if everything goes wrong, you still have six months of that saved up and you, you're not going to be stressed about it, you know? So it's, it's, so I feel it varies so much from people's level of confidence with their finances, how much they're, you know, risky they are with it and stuff. And what is their household needs kind of stuff to figure out that number. But but it's an important number to know and figure it out, you know, and then understanding that it's, it's the time. Yeah. What, what are you buying back at that point is the time for you to be able to then actually make this thing work. Because just like you, you know, I was doing working six, seven days a week between different things, keeping up with this, keeping up with that. And, you know, we do what we got to do to to kind of like make our business go and and keep going and stuff but it you know we also we also have a break point and at some point we can't just keep doing that you know for months on end for years on end without then getting the stress and getting burnout from it so what i hear what i'm hearing you say is uh working backwards you know the math doesn't lie Right. So yeah. if, if your expenses, for example, you add up the mortgage, you add up the car payment, you add up the, you know, if you have kids, like how much mm-hmm. is the childcare, how much does that cost per month? And then you create yourself a buffer of however long we think it's going to take. And you know, it's different for everybody. I can't tell you, but about six to eight months in savings is a well, good cushion, mm-hmm. especially if you have a partner um, to give yourself enough time to build those relationships. And it also depends on how much you're thinking of charging. So I know a lot of people under charge for their services. Maybe you can speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit more, but based upon what are you worth per hour? So say you have a certain amount you need to make, I don't know, five grand a month and you only have 30 patient slots for that month. Well, then you have to charge accordingly. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about valuing yourself and seeing it from a math pers- perspective instead of an emotional perspective. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm huge on that. And that's one of the biggest things I try to teach people in our field is valuing themselves charging what we're worth it because exactly what you said we tend to especially the people who don't have a background on business which is 99 percent of us that go on to open their own business like i did we don't have a background on that and we don't know like i didn't know how to decide what to charge you know and and usually when we we don't know what to charge we we do one of three things we either look at what other uh, similar practitioners around us are charging and decide to charge about that amount or we just pick a random number out of a hat and decide what to charge you know or we look at what the other places are charging and maybe charge just a little bit higher or you know a little bit lower depending on what you're trying to get out of it but no one looks at the option that actually is the one that should make more sense, which is actually, like I said, working backwards to what you need. And then based on what you need uh, to take home and what you need out of your business expenses, then looking at then how many appointments can you see feasibly on a, on a week or on a month and using that amount to decide how much you should be charging. You know, and I was totally guilty of it. I uh, uh, I got busy enough around March or so of 2018, about you know five six months into the business. But then I was like, shoot, I'm still not making enough money. But that's because the way I decided what to charge is I had been working at the vet clinic, so I knew what they were charging, 
And then I was like, you know what? Since I'm going to be doing house calls, I'm just going to add an extra $10, $15 to what they're charging. And that's going to be what I'm going to be charging. But then that, that only came to about like $105 a session. <laughs> so then I quickly realized, yeah, that's this, this is not going to work necessarily, you know? And then I started little by little learning more about this stuff, which led towards me actually within the first 15 months of being a business owner, I like raise, I, I like, I raised my price like four times, basically, you know, the first time was because I've realized I had to raise, but I was very uncomfortable with it. So I only raised by a little bit. And then I started learning a little bit more about this and I raised a bit more. And then the last one was like, okay, now I understand this better and I know how much I actually need out of this. And then I started charging, you know, significantly more kind of stuff. Significantly more, I mean, compared to what other that place was charging or a couple of the clinics were charging. But calculating that in relation to what I needed it for me to, to not only not only bring what I wanted to bring home, but also have a profit, have something where I could then reinvest into growing the business. Would you say it's easier to start with high prices and attract the right customer or start with bottom of the barrel? This is what I think I should charge and then increase from there as you feel like you are worth it more. What is a more strategic approach as you're opening Uh your own business? Oh, after, you know, already coaching and mentoring uh, about three dozen therapists and stuff into opening their own business is 100% already charging more, already charging what you're worth at. Um, it's such a, the, the biggest, uh, uh, one of the biggest challenges is then raising our rates, uh, especially if you feel uncomfortable with it, because the, not only you got to have that conversation with the clients and figure it out, you know, how are you going to present this to them and all of that, but also you got to change a lot of the, your operational processes and this and that and whatnot. So like charging already what you're worth it, what you should be charging is going to not only be easier within that sense, because then you're just going to be in a good position and you're going to start attracting more of the clients that you want to attract, but then it's just going to allow you to, to get to that number that we were talking about earlier, that you need to do this full time or be able to get to a number where you can hire administrative help or whatever it may be so much faster, you know, and that has been one of the coolest things to see with my mentees because they, already starts at a higher level when they're uh, 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 when they're starting their business because of what I'm able to uh, teach them. And because of that, they're able to quickly make that transition full-time from uh, uh, human PT, from side gigs to doing animal physical therapy and making good money and then growing their business, you know, and, and that has been one of the biggest differentials. And, and the challenge with the people who come on board after already being running their business, then is that is changing their mindset that, oh, it's okay. Because then we start telling themselves like, oh, but are people going to be willing to pay me? Are the people who have been paying me, you know, a hundred dollars to see them going to be willing to pay $200 for me to see them? You know, so it also becomes a, a harder mindset barrier to break it through to. 
I think it comes down to an abundance mindset too, where when you think patients are scarce and you're always worried about keeping your patients for the lowest price possible, well, then you're always going to be running the same cycle, the same circle, chasing your tail of, okay, I need to get more new patients because I need to make this amount of number, uh, this number in order to pay my bills. But then I, I can't actually pay my bills because I'm undercharging for what I'm worth. So I actually don't have enough time to fit in new patients. So it's just an endless circle. When you have an abundance mindset, of attracting mm-hmm. the right client. Um, well, then if you have the right client, you enjoy working with them. You don't have to treat as many and you don't have to work as often because you're making the same, if not more money than you need. So then you can eventually begin to scale. Now I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about this because a lot of us are solopreneurs where it's just us and we think we mm-hmm. have to do everything, but talk to us a little bit more about increasing fees and growing the profits. So that way we can grow the business because you no longer do mobile. You're in a location now, right? Can you talk to us a little bit more about scaling your business and the type of entrepreneur and um, how we can make this profession grow because animals deserve to have access to care and they can't always do that if there's only solopreneurs uh, taking care of them. Yeah, and, and, and exactly. Being a solopreneur is great, is a great start, but sometimes if we don't change our mindset towards it, then like you said, we just, got, we just get stuck on this cycle, on this hamster wheel. And, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to get more into this coaching was to help animal rehab therapists realizing that. Because it, it may, like what I've started to realize is that people who were successful in terms of having a busy practice for five, 10, even over 10 years, they were getting burnout. They were getting resentful towards even their own business. And some of them, unfortunately, I saw them even leave the field of animal rehab because they couldn't find a way to get out of this cycle that they put themselves into. And and, and the way to get out of it was to work through their mindset about money, about how much to charge and stuff, because they were significantly undercharging. So they got busy. They had a very busy schedule. They were working crazy hours. But at the end of the day, they were still not feeling fulfilled with what they were doing because of that. You know, I just want to highlight that for a second. Being successful does not mean you have a lot of patience. I'm going to repeat that for everyone. Being successful does not mean you have a thousand patients. Okay. It's about taking care of your patients well and being paid well for it. I just want to answer that. No, no, it's absolutely true. You know, and then with me, um, I was a solopreneur for the first couple of years. And then I started having bigger aspirations of growing the business kind of stuff in the very beginning. So it's just funny because if you, if you talk to me back, you know, one year into business ownership or so, back in like, you know, fall of 2018 or so, I was doing very good. At that point, I was making good money. Animal rehab was my full-time thing. And that's all I ever wanted. And that's, you know, when I left that position, I opened my own business. All I wanted is like be a full-time canine rehab therapist and make good money out of it. And I was doing it, you know, but then I started realizing that, there's more to it, you know? And then I've realized that, okay, if I want to be able to grow, if I want to be able to scale, then I, I, I need to find staff. I need to figure out how I'm going to grow. Now, I could have grown it as a mobile canine rehab therapist. I feel there are ways to grow. I think it's a little bit more challenging. So because of that, I decided to like start looking into my own space. So then 
years into being a business owner, we found the clinic, um, the space that we're at, did the build out and everything. And then we opened uh, that clinic to start seeing patients in February of 2020. And then COVID happened, you know, but, but even, but even with that, we have grown ever since then. So uh, I hired my first remedial staff before that leading up to opening the space about six months before, because I was so busy seeing patients driving all over kind of stuff that I needed an administrative staff, someone who could help me run the back end of the business kind of stuff, you know? And then once we, once it got close to opening our space, I hire another physical therapist um, to, to, you know, to, to see patients and stuff. And then, you know, fast forward to now, um, we just expanded our location. So we have a, like a 2,500 square foot facility. We have three full-time therapists in addition to myself. And, and for now I'm seeing patients for about like 15, 20 hours a week. Um, and then we have, uh, let me think one, two, three, we have four administrative staff. Well, three administrative staff and one full-time marketing person. So, you know, and that's all to help with the different branches of the business. And then, over time, my role has so much evolved where seeing patients now, it's honestly the easiest part of my day that, you know, it's just what I've been doing for a long time. But then as a business owner with staff, with growth, then I just had to learn new skills, you know, which is a work in progress, but had to learn a lot of those skills of, 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 of being a manager, being a leader, help guide people, help get, you know, the most out of them while providing, you know, a supportive environment kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and it's a challenge, but it, it also comes with, with a lot of rewards that has allowed, you know, um, me, for example, to take a full month of parental leave when my daughter was born last year, me to not be so involved on the day-to-day of the business anymore. So I can start spending more time, you know, into this other, you know, business venture kind of stuff. But what I tell people, what I tell my mentees is that even if you don't have aspirations to grow this huge team kind of stuff, which I understand most people don't, at the very least, at one point in time, you would benefit from having at least an administrative person who can help you with the back end stuff. So you can just focus on being the therapist, in your case, on being the chiropractor, you know, because most of the time that's what people want. You know, I've realized that I wanted it. I didn't want it to be the therapist as much anymore because of my time. But most of the time, that's what people want. I just want to, they're like, friend, all I want to do is just focus on being a therapist for the majority of my time. And I'm like, great. So what you cannot do is be the therapist for 40 hours a week, be the front desk person for another 20 hours a week, be the marketer for another 10 hours a week, because that's how you get burned out. So what, you, what you're going to have to do is hire out for those other roles so you can focus on being the therapist then. Yeah. It's so impactful what you just said, because I feel like that's why most solopreneurs burn out. Um, They, you know, maybe leave an associate position where they were unhappy with how things are being run or pay or whatever it may be. And then they enter into owning their own business and they think it's going to be great until the overwhelm happens, right? Where Mm -hmm. I, speaking for myself, grew faster than I was ever expecting to grow. Um, You know, the amount of patients I'm so blessed of, you know, how they found me and the, the relationships I've had with veterinarians. And I grew faster than I ever intended. And it did not take very long for me to get overwhelmed with the 
administrative tasks. We're following up with vet referrals, calling the owners, doing notes, like all the things that uh, previously a front desk staff would do for you. Now you have to do it. And being Mm -hmm. a solopreneur is powerful where you can make your own hours and decide that. But at a certain pace of new patients that you need to come in, there's going to be a, a point where eventually you're going to say, I can only handle this many. And mm-hmm. um, it does help to scale and um, open your mindset, even if it's just one person. Like I now have a virtual assistant and it just takes so much off my plate where I feel like I can breathe and I can focus on marketing or I can focus on doing meetings or I can focus on, you know, social media or all these other things because the administrative load is off my plate. And it also gives someone else a job. You know, you're improving the economy that way because you're allowing someone now who maybe hated their job before who now gets to work with you and works from home. So they have more freedom that way. So it's just is super impactful what you just said, because I know so many people are like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to do everything myself. This is my business. I'm going to do it my way. And there's just, there's so many opportunities for you to grow as a person and as a business. If you just think beyond you mindset wise. Exactly. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if we could shift gears a little bit and talk about scaling your growth because when, you know, most of my, I call my business basics program is focused on reputation. Animal chiropractic is weird. All right. (laughs) Especially for small animal. Um, So a lot of it is based upon building the relationships and becoming an authority on animal chiropractic in your community. That's what I say. Right. So being an authority figure is like vet lunch and learns and um, you know, talking to the vet on the phone and like all these things where you do meetings with veterinarians and you get them to refer you clients. It's very important, right? But what I found so impactful when I found you is flipping the conversation and talking about why we're not marketing to just vets, why we need to open our mindset and market to the 93%, I think you call it, right? Where you're marketing mm-hmm. the person who is looking for you. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this concept of why we should maybe not only focus on veterinary referrals, maybe branch out our our marketing and scale our business by marketing directly to the customer. Yes. And, and I do talk a lot about that. Um, so let me dial back to 2018, uh, early 2018, when I just opened the business, I opened in, you know, uh, October, 2017. Um, but one of the biggest challenges I had was uh, getting veterinary clinics, getting veterinarians to refer to me Um for two reasons. One was because the clinic where I was working at was well-established. They had been around at that point for about 15 years or something like that. You know, so the veterinary community at large in Chicago is just like so accustomed to like, oh yeah, that's the place to go. That's the place to go. And then the second thing was that they weren't accustomed to referring for uh, services uh, for a non-veterinarian. You know, and that's something that I feel those of us who uh, come from the human healthcare um, realm, we're kind of used to a more interdisciplinary approach where, you know, the same patient can be seen a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a massage therapist, a nutritionist, uh, you know, their uh, PM&R doctor and all of us, their, their fitness trainer and like all of us kind of like, you know, are used to that. But in the veterinary field, if you really look at it, that's kind of like newish. It's just been in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years or so, that other non-veterinarian professionals started to 
become more ingrained into this work with animals. So there is still sometimes a lot of reluctancy towards that. And I don't think it's a reluctancy in terms of, you know, them thinking that they're better or thinking less of us, but it's just, it's just, they're not used to it. They're not going through veterinary school working through this interdisciplinary approach like we do, you know, in, in, in the human healthcare schooling system kind of stuff. So that was the barrier that I was really encountering. And what I've realized was that I was like, you know what, if I'm going to grow this, I can't keep trying to do this because it's, it's just not picking it up. It's just not working. Plus the other thing that I started learning at that point in time is that if I wanted to grow a business that it was going to be a little bit more sustainable, I needed it to have a little bit more control out of my own marketing rather than just relying on other people sending me referrals where I basically have no control with. So, you know, I could potentially develop a very good partnership, you know, with a local veterinary clinic or a local specialty clinic that there's surgery and stuff. But then what if suddenly they decided to do their own in-home rehab or they decided to just send the referrals somewhere else because they got bought by a corporation or whatever it may be. And then suddenly I would lose all of that that I built. So that's when I started learning more and more about this marketing direct to the consumer, okay? And and to what you alluded to, you know, marketing to the 93%. And that term comes from, um, there was a research article at uh, JOSPT, the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy, back in, I want to say maybe 2015, 2014 or so. I can't remember exactly, but they were looking, it was a retrospective study that they were looking, uh, analyzing patients that went um, to their primary care physician with complaints of back pain, how many of them got referred to physical therapy for their back pain. And the paper found that only 7% of those patients were getting referred to physical therapy for back pain. But when you look at traditionally the way physical therapists market to get their referrals, it is directly to the physician, either being a PCP or another specialty. So then suddenly you have this smaller piece of the pie, the 7% that a lot of physical therapists, physical therapists are marking towards to try to get that patient low back pain to then become a patient. When you had this bigger piece of the pie, this 93% that still have back pain, they still need our help, but we got to get in front of them to educate them on how we can help them. And I feel at large, usually chiropractors are actually better about physical therapists in terms of that, in terms of having this better uh, direct-to-consumer marketing. Part of it, I feel, is because physical therapists for the longest time, uh, we couldn't see patients without a referral from a physician kind of stuff. The, the term direct access and physical therapy is kind of like fairly new, um, you know, over the last couple of decades or so. So we're still evolving as a profession to it. But then that's when I started realizing, like, I was like, okay, what I need to do is take this same concept and apply to, to, to what I'm doing over here as a canine rehab therapist, because yes, I still need the veterinarian to sign a referral form for me, but it doesn't mean that the veterinarian needs to be the one referring to me. So if someone, if a pet owner finds me, sorry if you can hear my dog playing here. He just decided it was playtime with his toy. So if, if um, where was I? So if, if, a, if, if, a, if a pet owner finds me some other way and contact me 
and and after educating them, they want to move forward with booking an evaluation, I can still go uh, 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 to their uh, veterinarian and get the records and, and get the referral form kind of stuff. And that's how that all kind of like came to be. So I started learning, and this was probably about summer of 2018 or so, when I really started learning more about this direct-to-consumer marketing. So it's basically try to build a relationship directly with the pet owner so they could find us through other means. They will want to bring their pet to us and then we would contact their veterinary clinic and then get what we needed to get for them to come see us. And then little by little, not only that worked in terms of uh, uh, helping me get busy as a solopreneur and then grow a business with other therapists and stuff, but then Little by little, it helped me break the barrier I was getting from the direct referrals from veterinarians because then little by little, the same veterinarians started seeing the results that we were getting for their patients that were finding us directly. And then that opened up the doors, of, especially over the last couple of years or so, for them, for us to do lunch and learns to these veterinary clinics, for us to educate them on how we do, which then little by little, gradually it, it started building up our um, referral base. So we do get about one third of our patients nowadays do come directly from veterinary referrals, you know, because of that. But that was a gradual process and, and that direct to consumer marketing ended up playing a role into it as well because it helped them see that, hey, this Francisco guy or the canine PT, they're, they're legit. They might not be veterinarians, but they know what they're doing. Um, I'm hearing great things from my clients about them. I can see that the dogs are doing great when they go see them. And, and I'm getting their uh, evaluation report. And I can see they're knowledgeable. I can see that they know what they're talking about. And all of that over time, I feel then helped us get into those clinics, do a lunch and learn. And then I know that once I can get into a clinic and do a lunch and learn, then I can, you know, often really get across how we can help them and build a relationship with them. Wow. So, so impactful with what you just said. And I'm going to kind of butcher it with a metaphor <laughs> because <laughs> I think a lot of veterinarians, they aren't told about the impact of alternative treatments. It's very much a like, here's a textbook. Here's how you treat this, right? Here's this disease. Here's how mm -hmm. you manage this symptom. And when we do hands-on care, it's very different. So it's like trying to introduce a foreign food that someone's like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know if it tastes good. I'm not even going to try it. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. me. I like chocolate ice cream. Why in the world would I try pistachio ice cream? That's foreign to me. Why in the world would I even take a chance on that? But if I see enough people enjoying that different type of ice cream, I'm eventually going to say, Hey, um, what can I try that? You know, it's like you, you bring the interest when other people start asking, right. And you see other people getting good success with it is when people begin to become curious. They're like, oh, okay, maybe I didn't try it just because I was being resistant and unsure because it's not my normal. But now that I see such good results, I want to try it. I want to see what this is about. And, um, I, you know, try and take that metaphor with me because a lot of times I think, veterinarians don't want to try animal chiropractic just because they hate chiropractic. And it's not necessarily that it's just, it's not what they're used to. Right. So yeah. um, I'm not their flavor, but eventually they'll figure out that, you know, it, it is helpful for a lot of, a lot of patients. Right. So when we see good yeah. results like that, 
um, it, it can help build those relationships too. Because I know a lot of people that um, ask me for advice for mentorship. They say, I just want to beat my head against the wall. All these vets are kicking me out of their office. They're rude. They don't, they won't even give me the time of day. And I think a lot of times we get so frustrated because we're hearing no so much. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about mindset shifts that you maybe have taken with your customers to help them, you know, build that bridge between, you know, you're helping the customer and indirectly that's um, engaging and interesting the vet in the service that you have to offer. Yeah. And, and the, the interesting thing about looking back at it is that I, I didn't foresee that coming. Although looking back, I'm like, duh, it makes sense that, you know, me building this relationship with the pet owner and, and 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 become known for what we do ended up opening up some doors of veterinary clinics, but that wasn't the intent that kind of like came out of it. And I just had a conversation recently with mo- one of my mentees exec about that, where she was getting frustrated about, you know, like, oh, but I, but I met with this vet and I thought it went great. And then I'm not getting any referrals and this and that, and that happens, you know, like I said, we get those no's kind of stuff. So so the thing about it that I've realized is that, first of all, we can't blame them for it because they, you know, there, there is a lack of understanding on what we do. And, and that applies to physical therapists, to chiropractors, to acupuncturists, to, you know, a variety of, 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 of specialties in the field, you know, that the maybe, maybe nowadays, you know, some of the more progressive veterinary schools maybe have, you know, like a special two-hour lecture on alternative therapies where they throw everything together basically and spend maybe 10, 15 minutes on chiropractor, 10, 15 minutes on rehab. So maybe at least they're getting that exposure to it, but it's still not part of their curriculum. So they they don't come out of school knowing like, what is this thing? Maybe they have heard of it. Maybe they have seen on social media, or if they have done an externship, at a large specialty center. Maybe there was a rehab department that, you know, they would walk by the hallway every so often and see the dog in the, on the treadmill and say, hey, that looks kind of cute kind of stuff, but never necessarily took the opportunity to learn because they were busy. They were busy becoming a vet. They were busy getting through, you know, that part kind of stuff. The second thing too, that I've realized over time is that, and, and the same applies to physicians as well, um, as it does to veterinarians, that their way of thinking through um, uh, uh, how to help a patient is very different because they have their because of you know their uh, their knowledge and in 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 what they do, they tend to be very focused on the medical diagnosis on well if 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 there is this wrong with this patient we do this or we do that you know um, and then it. And and, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way medicine kind of like works for better or for worse, you know, and sometimes what I do on my lunch and learns then is try to help them understand the thought process of a physical therapist in this instance that yes, the medical diagnosis is helpful. It's good for me to know that this dog is coming with a CCL tear rather than a luxating patella not saying that that's not useful, but for me, what is important 
is looking at the medical diagnosis and tying up to how the patient is presenting to me. How is that affecting their ability to move around, to walk, to go up the stairs, to jump, to play, to be a dog, to like do the things that they want to do, you know? And that's what I've tried to, to do with the veterinarians that we have done lunch and learns they have kind of like built a relationship with is help them understand that part of it. And, and the feedback has been really good on them coming out of those understanding that, oh, this makes much more sense. Now I understand why this, now I understand, you know, why that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and it took me some time to realize that, that it's like, it's just their way of thinking is just very, very different than the way we see things, you know, and, and I can't blame them from it. And the third thing, you know, when it comes to getting those notes and stuff, it's just that they're busy, especially if you look over the last couple of years, it's just crazy how busy veterinary clinics have been. So sometimes just referring dogs to rehab or to chiropractic or to acupuncture, sometimes it's just not top of their mind because they're just trying to keep up with their flow of the day-to-day kind of stuff. So going back to that conversation I was having with that mentee just earlier this week, what I told her is like, keep doing those things. Keep building the relationship with the veterinary clinics. Don't, don't keep educating them. Don't give up on it over time because I know now over time that Everything else that you're doing is going to help with it, but it's not going to happen overnight. So what I challenge her to do is to make, make the nose kind of like irrelevant. So what I mean by that is work on building a source of leads, source of new patients that you have control over. While at the same time, still trying to educate the vets. But the reason why I feel a lot of us get frustrated with the no's that we're getting is because that's our primary source of referrals. But once we make that primary source of referrals something else, once we make the no's that we're getting kind of like irrelevant to a sense, and I mean irrelevant in a way that, yes, we get bummed that we can help this dog and we're getting no. So that still it's not fun, but I mean more irrelevant in a way that you're not going to stress out about business, about your income, about how many patients you're seeing, because you know you're fine. You know you have all these other source of leads and referrals somewhere else that from a business perspective, from a revenue perspective, you're going to be just fine. So once you take that stress out of it, those no's become much more less emotional to us. And then we can, over time, start breaking down those barriers and build those relationships and educate them and that kind of stuff. At least that that has been my experience over the last, you know, five years with it. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's good not to have all your eggs in one basket, right? If everything mm-hmm. is built on a house of cards, well, then yes, one day it's going to fall. And the pandemic kind of leveled the playing field, right? So let's talk a little bit more about that multifaceted approach that you have of leads. What are leads? That sounds like, you know, jargon to some of us that are used to being a clinician. Okay. Uh, let, let's talk about building that machine of getting these clients in and what that customer journey may look like. Because a lot of us, are used to just talking to a vet, hoping they send a referral. And that's where most of our income comes from. But like he said, Mm -hmm. it's not a good foundation to lay your business on. So let's talk about adding to that foundation with getting these patients that are looking for us in our office. 
Yeah, and there could be so many layers about this, and we could probably do like a whole podcast just about this. But leads or inquiries, you know, however you want to call it, are the people who are contacting you, your clinic, either by phone, email, or maybe a form they fill out on your website, whatever it may be. Anyone who comes into contact, potentially interest in your services is, you know, what in marketing we would call a lead. And the, the, the best way I can explain to people that I do is um, looking at the concept of cold, warm, and hot leads. So cold, so, and when I'm discussing this concept, I'm looking at the problem that they have with their pets and the solution to their problem. So cold leads, they are people who don't know they have a problem. And because of that, they don't know, they're not even looking for a solution, right? So those are, for example, the people who have, uh, 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 especially like an older dog who is slowing down, but they don't necessarily see that as an issue, it's not affecting them kind of stuff. They don't necessarily see as a problem kind of stuff. Now, can we market to cold leads? Yeah, we can. And that's what we, we you can do a lot with social media kind of stuff because people are not going into Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or whatever it may be, looking for like, oh, they're not going into Facebook and be like, oh, let me look for a canine rehab clinic, you know, kind of stuff. They're just browsing Facebook. They're just browsing Instagram. And then suddenly, you know, your sponsored post, your ad, whatever pops in front of them. That's a cold lead. Could you turn them into a client? You can, but it's just going to be harder because they don't know that they have a problem yet. The warm leads are the ones who they know they have a problem, but they don't know that there is a solution to that problem. So those are the ones that at that point in time, they realize, shoot, my dog is really slowing down and it's really affecting. What can I do about this? Or those are the ones that maybe uh, have gone to their vets and got told, yeah, your dog has arthritis, but haven't been given a solution to it. Or, oh, your dog has an ACL tear or whatever it may be, but they haven't been given a solution to it. So then if you really think about it nowadays, what people for the most part are going to do when they're looking for a solution to their problem, they're going to go online and try to find a solution to it. And more than often, they're going to go to Google to try to find the solution to their problem. Um, that ties up a lot to that marketing to the 93%, because that's where a lot of that 93% then is going to find you, right? Looking back at that study, 93% of people knew they had back pain. They went to the primary care physician for it, but they weren't given necessarily a solution to that. So those people potentially, or at least a good number of that, could have gone online to try to find on Google what else can they do, you know, to 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 help their alleviate their back pain. Or maybe they uh, didn't like the solution offered. Or or maybe yeah. sometimes, yeah, they were giving. Oh, here's you know, yeah, here's here's a anti-inflammatory. Here's pain medication. Just take that, right? Of course, you know, there is that too, and they they just go looking for other solutions as well. And then the third one are the hot leads. The hot leads is the seven percent basically. The hot leads. They know they have a problem. They know there is a solution. The hot leads is the dog who has gone to their vet and got told, hey, your dog has an ACL tear and here's a list of places that you can contact or you know, contact this clinic, contact this person who can help you. Now, the majority of the time, we are marketing towards the hot leads. The hot leads are, are, are easier to convert to, client, to clients. They don't, they're, they're not going to get... Uh, uh, as much pushback potentially about cost. It's just going to be a higher conversion rate on the phone because they were told by someone who they trust in their case, this vets that here's the problem and here's the solution to this problem. 
you know, and then they go for it kind of stuff, you know? So that's one of the reasons why most of us feel more comfortable marketing to the hot leads because it's just easier to get them to become a paying customer kind of stuff. The other leads is just going to require a whole different marketing strategy, a whole different nurturing strategy, not only to get to find you, but then to get to understand how you can help them and why they should be paying more to see you compared to X, Y, Z place down the street, you know? But for me, that's the fun thing about marketing. It is about kind of like creating all these different systems around the kind of stuff. So I do enjoy it, but that's probably the best way I can kind of like summarize it without us doing a full podcast on just this topic. It's, it's that is understanding that not everyone who finds you, not everyone who is contacting you, filling out your form, calling you comes from the same background. Some of them are hot. Some of them are warm, you know, and we need to understand what's the difference and what's the type of conversation we got to have with them? What's their pathway? What's their customer journey along with us? Because it is going to be a little bit different. So with our last couple of minutes here, I was just wondering, you know, that, that blew my mind when I listened to that speech that you had classifying the different types of people um, that are finding you because we all do it. You know, if I, I did it actually. So I've had three head injuries myself and I had severe vertigo and migraine headaches all the time. And I went to a neurologist and they said, uh, here's some pain pills. Enjoy the rest of your life. And I was 26 mm-hmm. and I was like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. So what do I do? Dr. Google. And I say, mm-hmm. Hey, what else can I do for my neck pain and headaches? Oh, chiropractic and bada bing, bada boom. Now I'm a chiropractor, right? It's kind of funny how that works out. Right. So when you consider the customer journey of, you know, maybe uh, this person is looking for you and maybe they're hot, maybe they're warm or maybe they're cool. Um, what we can start to ask ourselves certain questions about that customer. Um, so something that I found extremely valuable and maybe you can guide our listeners. This is entering the conversations in their head. So why are they searching for you? Because many times they're not choosing chiropractic services. Like they don't just want chiropractic. What they actually Mm -hmm. want is you to help them with their pet that's in pain. Like they want that problem solved. They have a certain fear or they have a certain goal that they want to achieve. So how can we start to think about this customer and what they need from us in order to attract them and deal with their objections before they start with us? Yes, because then once I started learning more about this marketing direct to the consumer, I started realizing that it wasn't about me marketing canine rehabilitation. It was about me marketing how I am the solution to their problem, basically. And in the beginning, I got busy enough marketing canine rehabilitation, but it was much harder to kind of like get things going kind of stuff because... If I'm marketing canine rehabilitation or in your guys' case, you know, chiropractic, but business is business. And I feel like the same concepts are definitely going to apply. But if I'm marketing canine rehabilitation and the clinic in town, in the, uh, you know, down the street, it's also marketing canine rehabilitation. For the most part, people are not going to know the difference. For the most part, they're going to think that, well, I'm comparing apples to apples. So if I'm comparing apples to apples... I'm just going to buy the cheapest Apple, you know, but what we need to help them understand is that actually they're comparing apples to oranges, that what, what you're doing 
is actually much more than just canine rehabilitation. You are helping find, you're helping find the solution to their problems. And, you know, uh, uh, for any of you guys who then potentially, you know, are curious about it and you go to my website for the canine PT, you're going to see that our uh, uh, message is just very centered towards helping the senior dogs. And there was a, uh, 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 an array of reasons why I chose to do that. But part of it was just, was that, is that I wanted it, my message to be very clear to people when they're going to our website that there's more that we can do to their senior pets besides just giving and said and letting them rest, you know? And that was the message that I wanted it to kind of like get across, having, showing them that the solution to their problem is more than just that. It's more than just the end said and rest, you know, and, and, and it's, um, you know, there's a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that kind of like goes along with it to make that work. But that's probably one of the foundational things tying back to the very beginning of our conversation about charging what we're worth it and showing the value kind of stuff. It is one of the foundational things for it. It's like, if you want to be able to, charge more and show people the value that you bring to them. It can't be about them finding the same thing that you have to offer somewhere else for cheaper, because if that's the case, more likely than not, they're going to go somewhere else for cheaper. So what you need to build is that customer journey, is that way, that message and and the processes that is going to allow them to show that value to them to show that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And, 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 and here's the thing with it that I mean, it doesn't matter is that we as healthcare professionals, no matter if you're a chiropractor, a physical therapist, um, a veterinarian, whoever it may be, we are very proud of our uh, educational accomplishments and knowledge. We are very proud of all the letters behind our names, but people could care less about it for the most part. People don't care if they're seeing a, a, a canine rehab therapist, a canine chiropractor, a canine acupuncturist, a, a, a canine rehab vet, whatever it is. For the most part, what they care is, can you help my pet? Can you help my dog? And if you can show to them that you can help them, they're going to gravitate towards you because of that, regardless of your background kind of stuff. And that's uh, sometimes uh, a very hard thing for us to appeal to swallow because our ego gets in the way because we're so proud of all the things we have accomplished, you know, to get to this point in our careers. And we should be proud about those accomplishments. But then what I tell people is like, well, what good are those accomplishments? What good are all those letters behind your name? If you can't get patients in the door to see you, if you can't get people to pay you what you're worth it, so you can do this in a sustainable way that works for you and you're not getting burned out after five and 10 years, you know? So anyways, that's kind of like tying up a little bit of your question about the, 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 the value and what we're talking to people, but bringing it back to what we started this discussion, which was around pricing, because it, it's all going to go hand in hand. I listened to a podcast the other day, and I, I think this could summarize what we just said in like a, a lot short of a time span. It is not focusing on getting the transaction. It's selling the transformation. Mm, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's several different ways to skin a cat. Like a dog may get better with an acupuncturist. A dog may get better with physical therapy. A dog may get better with chiropractic. And 
regardless of who they're seeing, they're still getting great results. That's why I tell my clients, I don't care where you go as long as you see good results. I don't mm-hmm. care who sees you as long as you feel like your needs are being met. And, you know, I, I do have to um, say that with a grain of salt, because of course I want someone who is well-educated with a license and proper certification to work on an mm-hmm. animal. I don't know if you have that problem in animal, animal physical therapy, like we do in chiropractic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. so with that being said, um, working on an animal is a huge privilege Um, you know, especially since these pets are now our family members. And, um, when you work on an animal, just realize that that's their family member and they're trusting you with them. And your job is not really to, you know, just make money by doing that. Your job is actually to get that pet, the result they're looking for. And of course you should be well paid for it, but that should be your, your utmost priority when you have a business is you make money by solving people's problems. You don't make money just Mm -hmm. by having a huge price tag. Right. So I hope we can bring that back um, because I think a lot of people, when they become a solopreneur, they they get so stuck on the hamster wheel. They're like, I just got to make money to survive. And I hope that they can look beyond it and say, okay, well, I'm going to serve patients so well that people are going to be attracted to me like a magnet. And and I know that um, when I initially got started, I got so frustrated because I know what I have is so valuable, but I didn't know how to communicate that. So it was hugely beneficial to me meeting with Francisco, being able to have these conversations um, and market my services in a way that a customer would actually be able to listen, right? Because I know all the big words, but a customer doesn't care, right? Mm-hmm. They want to know that I care about their pet and I want to see them get better. That they That's really at the end of the day what they want. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, friend, for helping me uh, talk to our listeners today, for helping me personally with my business, opening my mindset. If people liked what we had to talk about today and they want to learn more about you and your services, like say, for example, we have a vet here listening today that does chiropractic and rehabilitation. Maybe they want to do more rehab in their practice and they like what you have to say. Um, Is there a place that they can find out more about you and what you have to offer? Yeah. I mean, thanks so much, Katie, for having me. I love talking about this stuff and it's great to be able to, 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 to expand this, you know, to dog our practice and stuff, because I feel at the end of the day, business is business and, and there's going to be a lot of takeaway things that hopefully you guys can take from it. But, um, but yeah, um, in addition to us releasing the podcast, like I, I said earlier in August of this year, we also have a, a website that you can go to k9ptacademy.com. And it, uh, it's the letter K number nine PT as in physical therapy academy.com. Um, and from there, you, you, there is the link to the podcast, but there's also, you know, uh, a variety of different contents kind of stuff, links to our social media and all that kind of stuff. So that will probably be the, 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 the best way for you to go and kind of like check out more if you're interested. Thank you so much, Fran. It was interesting um, how we met each other because I think I, you know, I listened to a lot of your stuff, but I was so hesitant to um, connect with you because I was like, (laughs) Fran, I'm a chiropractor and you're a physical therapist. We're trained to hate each other. Right. (laughs) I don't know why, but I was like, I was in tears. I was like, Fran, I don't know if if you'd be willing to talk to me because I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Chiropractors almost feel like we're on our own Island. And I just love to collaborate to help patients. I don't really care what the letters are behind your name. And uh, Fran has helped me tremendously um, through his materials, his free materials and his paid materials. Um, And I'm just so super thankful to have um, professionals in this field that 
um, aren't so much about ego. They're just so much about helping the patient. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to help other professionals, because at the end of the day, when we do stuff like this, we help more professionals see more animals. And that's what it should be about. That is exactly what should it be about. And, and thank you for being vulnerable and reaching out, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be here today. Um, and, and it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you and I talked about this hate of, you know, it's like, now at this point, it's like, you know, sometimes people don't even know why PTs should hate chiropractors and vice versa. They just do. But it's just so silly, you know, because there's just so much on what we do that benefits each other. And at the end of the day, it benefits the patient. In our case, you know, the dogs and the dog owners. And there's so many of them that needs our help out there that the more we can do to help them understand that, that there is more than just taking and set and rest, that there is more, you know, to just the traditional way of looking at things, the more we all benefit from it, you know, and, and, and hopefully then if, if for whatever reason, any of you uh, dog chiropractors listen to this, do have any hesitancy with partnering, with reaching out to, you know, canine rehab therapists around you, physical therapists, please do so. I can't guarantee everyone's going to have an open mind, you know, but I, I can guarantee that if it's someone who has worked with me, they're going to more than likely going to have an open mind because that's the community I've been trying to build where we have PTs. Now with Kate, we have chiropractor, we have had uh, veterinary technicians, we have rehab vets. And it's because I want to show to the field of animal rehab at large that we don't need to have this segregation of this person and that person kind of stuff. We can all benefit from each other. And then when we all benefit from each other, the 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 person at the end who wins is the pet owner and their pets and that's the most important thing thank you so much francisco i really appreciate this talk that we had today again you guys look him up at the canine pt uh the canine pt academy is his coaching um he also has a podcast the canine pt academy um podcast i believe um and um i really appreciate it um and if you guys have anything i can talk about to help you and your business please reach out leave us a review uh, when you scroll down on apple Podcasts, you can leave a review directly there if you're a chiropractor as well uh, that's working on animals and you need a, a community of like-minded professionals uh, to talk about animal chiropractic business or treating patients we have an awesome community named making strides for animal chiropractic and i look forward to helping you sort serve more animal patients so Thank you again, Fran, and I hope we talk again soon. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope these free tools have served you and your business so you can serve more patients. It's really tough being an animal chiropractor. I know it. You're trying to meet all these people, trying to get their vet to sign these referral forms, and you don't know if you can make your business work financially. It's hard. I get it. Now, when I first got started, all of my chiropractic mentors told me you have to do all these marketing events, meet all these people you don't know, shake a lot of hands, and get them into your practice. I was always wondering where my next new patient was going to come from. And if I'm being honest with you all, it wasn't sustainable. It always put fear in my head that I would never have a practice of my dreams. So fast forward a couple years, and here I am with a successful and thriving animal chiropractic practice. And it took a lot of mindset shifts in order to get here. What I thought and what I was told would work didn't work for me. So I had to develop a program that worked for a strongly introverted, kind of awkward person who just loves animals and wants to serve them well. I had to shift away from always thinking about where I'm going to get my new patients in to instead focusing on the relationships I built in my community and becoming an authority figure on animal chiropractic. So you guys, I have a free course 
that's going to tell you a little bit more about how I made these mindset shifts and why I started this Making Strides movement. So that way we can push the animal chiropractic profession forward. Please join us on makingstridesforanimalchiropractic.com. Take the free course and see what it has to offer you. Hey guys, Dr. Katie here. Thanks for listening. My intention behind starting this podcast was to build awareness and promote our amazing profession. If you like what we're doing here, please like, share, or leave a review. Help us to spread this movement so we all can begin to take steps towards change. Let's make strides for animal chiropractic.